Good morning. All right, how's everyone doing today? Good, I'm glad to hear it. All right, well, my name's Thomas, one of your pastors here at Parkview, and uh, I have the joy of proclaiming to you God's word from Acts 20. Acts 20. So we're continuing in our series in Acts. Now, today's passage is about leadership. Leadership. Uh, it's a speech delivered by the Apostle Paul to the leaders of the Ephesian church, the elders of the church. And so we're going to talk about leadership. It's a speech about leadership to leaders, about leadership, <laughs> okay? Leadership is a tough topic, not an easy one for us to talk about for a couple reasons. And I think they're, they're pretty well illustrated by a, cert, uh, a study that I found that Pew released in 2019. It was pre-pandemic, but uh, this study was called Trust and Distrust in America. And they, they did all these studies about sort of who do Americans trust, who do they not trust, and, and all this kind of thing. Probably not too surprising for most of us uh, to hear that they found that Americans are, are more distrustful of leadership than just about any other time in history that we know of. More distrustful of leaders. Uh, and that goes basically across all categories. Uh, elected officials, uh, business leaders, even gasp, pastors, okay. I felt a little hurt by that, but I'm, uh, there's some good reasons for that distrust. There's some understandable reasons for that, even, of course, within the church. Uh, and so on the one hand, I want to say, I hope today, uh, through this sermon, you'll see not just that God has set up leadership in his church in a certain way, uh, but, but why Christian leadership in particular ought to be compelling and distinctive and different and attractive, even, even if you're here and you would say, I'm not sure I agree with what this passage is saying, not sure if I, I agree about who Christ is. I hope you'll see that it's beautiful. So today's sermon is partly for our leaders, our elders, to, to hear and you, for you to get to listen in. That's why this passage is here for us. But there's another thing that that Pew study found, um, and, and it's important for us. The other reason that leadership can be difficult to talk about, and maybe you've already played this card in your mind, is that just about all of us feel like, I'm not really a leader. Okay, this, this is not really for me. Thank you. I'll be doing some, you know, thinking about some improvements to my home in the next 35 minutes. Um, but in fact, <clears throat> leadership, uh, as we'll see in this passage, uh, leadership is everywhere. And th the more you understand, I think the more you walk through life understanding this, the more you see that leadership is, is it, it is an office, it is a role, it is a, a set of responsibilities given to people with certain authority. Uh, but more, much more than that, leadership, simply put, is influence. It's influence. Um, influence is just leadership without a title. And all of us have influence. Uh, no matter who you are this morning, I don't, you come up, up to me and test me. You have influence. If, you ha if you're a parent, you have influence. You're, you're a leader. If you are a roommate, you have influence. If you're a coworker, there are people around you. Uh, if you're a neighbor, you have influence, or you could. If you're, if you're a friend, you have a friend, a friend. <laughs> you have influence. You may not have a title, you may not have an office, but you have influence. And so this passage is for you. Uh, because the other thing that this Pew study found is that while people are growing, especially young people, are increasingly more distrustful of leaders and maybe even more hesitant to take on leadership roles for that very purpose. I mean, who wants to be thrown in with them? No one trusts them, right? Uh, at the same time, people are becoming much more trustful of their neighbors. Um, and so my, my power as a Christian leader seems to be waning in our culture. 
but your power as a person with the inevitability of influence is growing. And so what we need today is for both of us, both those of us who are here, and I have some words for you who have the office of leader in this church, to take a step forward in the, in the practice of Christian influence, of Christian leadership. But there's something for all of us because we all bear influence in the lives of those around us. So tune in. Let me read uh, just the first half of our passage. We're in Acts 20, and I'll start in verse 18. <clears throat> it says this. Well, I'll start in 17, I should say. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. When they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you from the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent from the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I'll, I'll stop there. Uh, we're going to read on, but that's our initial part. Now, I, wanna, I want you to hear, if you hear nothing else today, that we must lead in the pattern of Jesus must lead in the pattern of Jesus, whether that's in a formal role or an informal role. We must lead and influence in the pattern of Jesus. This passage, we're going to see Paul's example of leadership. You heard that a little bit just as I read there. That's our first section. Then we're going to see God's charge to leaders in his church. We get to listen in on and learn from. And then finally, we'll see up close and personal Jesus' pattern for his leaders, for, for leadership. Will you pray with me before we really dive in? <clears throat> Lord, teach us today we ask, we want to be learners from your word, from you. Would you, by your spirit, give us soft hearts, hearts, help us to come raising our expectations for you to do something in our, our hearts today, in our minds today. Help us to assume that there's things you want to correct in us and be okay with that. Give us eyes to see a vision of what it would look like for each of us to respond faithfully to this passage, a concrete next step, something to, to think differently about, to, to feel differently about, to do differently, and give us a burden overall, Lord, give us a burden to follow the pattern of Christ, to use our influence well. And above all else, Lord, show us more of you. Show us Jesus. Amen. So as I said, first we see Paul's example of leadership. Uh, beginning there in verse 18, Paul really gives those leaders a look inside sort of his life and ministry and the heart of an apostle. Not a perfect leader, uh, but someone put forth by God and approved by him, an example for us to learn from and to imitate. Um, now, this is, by, you probably already noticed, this is a very frustrating passage for me to look at because I'm going to have to leave so much meat on the bone. There is so much here. 
I cannot talk about it all. I have to sort of make some decisions and leave a lot of things on the cutting room floor. I hope you listen through the group's podcast, which basically is kind of a deep dive each week on the sermon uh, that's coming for the following Sunday. We discuss more of it there uh, through the reflection questions that come up at the end uh, that get sent to you. And, and in your community group, I hope this leads to a ton of good discussion. This bears lots of reflection. But having said that, here's what we see. A few exemplary characteristics of Paul's example of leadership. First, let's look at those first few words he says to them in the middle of verse 18, beginning of his speech. You yourselves know how I lived among you. Notice that emphatic language. You yourselves know how I lived. Now, Paul's going to go on to talk about his teaching ministry, his instruction of them, uh, the time he spent in different contexts teaching them and, and using words to explain the Bible, what we often think of in Christian leadership. But that's not where he starts, is it? You yourselves know. His teaching doesn't seem to be actually the foundation of his ministry. It's this. You yourselves know how I lived among you. Leadership is personal. Influence uh, isn't established from a boardroom. It's not decided by the important people. It's, It's established in the break room, in the living room, and in the hospital room. Uh, Influence is earned. Paul earned his influence. He earned their ears by demonstrating to them a life that was caring and compelling and strangely beautiful. And a bit upside down, as as we'll see in a second. Do the people you lead or, or hope to influence in your life, can they say that? Can they say, I saw how you lived, and that's why I was willing to listen to you? This is the way, is, is the way distinct, unusual, unexplainable, uh, something beautiful. Do they see something supernatural? In our day and age, when uh, most people imagine that the things that set leaders apart are moxie and extroversion and incredible people skills and personal magnetism and charisma and a CEO, you know. (laughs) Paul immediately says, what made the biggest difference? You yourselves know how I lived among you. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. Keep in mind, this is Paul's summary of his ministry, the first half of his summary of his ministry in Ephesus that led to these elders and led to, by the way, the book of Ephesians. Um, First and second Timothy really have to do with the the church of Ephesus because that's where Timothy was. And on into the book of Revelation, this is a significant church. And how was it founded? What kind of leadership that Paul exerted resulted in that kind of a major ministry? Humility, tears, and trials. He did not learn this from Business Insider. What we mostly expect of leaders today is leadership that happens with swagger, fist bumping, and triumph. Paul led with humility, tears, and trials. What does that mean? Well, there's lots we could say, but first I have to say, my fellow elders, this is what you signed up for. And, and for all of us, God has every right to expect this of us. And the people around us have every right to expect it from us, too. Humility. Humility in a leader, of course, means a lot of things. And maybe most exemplary in it is tears. Tears. 
you yourself know how I lived among you with tears. Later in verse 31, Paul's going to say, be alert. He's talking to the elders. Be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish each one with tears. Paul, and this is the example we're given, this is the Christian example, this is the the most thorough probably uh, explanation and application of Christian leadership. Here's what it is. Paul was personally, emotionally invested in the spiritual growth of those he met These were strangers, by the way, in Ephesus. You yourselves know. Paul had a reputation for crying because he was so burdened for the growth of those around him to influence them toward what he knew was their greatest joy. His personal eagerness, his personal initiative, his spiritual initiative with them was so compelling that he became known for it. Elders, let's be known for our humility and for our tears and our willingness to endure trial. Not to skirt, not to avoid, but to endure. And for all of us, I'm sure this, maybe this brings to mind for you, uh, I'm sure at that time it it brought to mind scenes for each of those elders who were there. Times when, I mean, you can't say something like, "You you yourselves know how I lived among you in a group of, you know, 10 or 15 people if it's not true. I mean, they'll roll their eyes at you, right? It was true, and I'm I'm certain it brought to their mind scenes in their lives, in their past, where they remember Paul exhorting them with tears. They remember talking about people that they were hoping to help learn Christ with tears and with humility. Maybe it it brings to mind certain memories for you where people who have loved you and, and influenced you, probably not because they had a formal office in your life, right? probably not because they had formal authority over you, but because they loved you. You saw the way that they lived. You were compelled by it. You may not even remember the words that they spoke necessarily, although those were important. What you remembered was how they influenced you through their life. If we want to make a difference in the lives around us like Paul did in Ephesus, we must make the deliberate choice to let people's problems cause us pain. Who is the Lord leading you to cry over right now? Now look at verse 22. He says, Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, is is Paul just being reckless here? Is this some sort of weird, uh, masculine bravado, machismo? Who cares what happens to me? I'm brave. (laughs) How can he be so seemingly carefree? You know, I've noticed that there are basically three ways to use a book. And and this, is, this has been my progression in life. Maybe you've experienced this too. I don't know which kind of person you are. I hope you're not offended by this illustration if you're not the right kind. Okay, the first kind of way to use a book is the way that um, my two-year-old uses a book. And this is the reason why board books exist, by the way. He uses a book um, basically in a totally carefree manner. He does not care what happens to it. In fact, sometimes it's more fun to use the book just for the sheer pleasure of listening to the paper rip. 
Okay? That's how he uses books. Okay? They're just, you could just throw them away, it doesn't matter to him. Uh, the second way to use a book is just the opposite of that. It's to be so protective, barely ever take them off of the shelf, never crack the binding, um, read it once, put it back on. No notes, no underlining, no highlighter, okay? Do not eat Flaming Hot Cheetos while reading the book, okay? It's not going in any inappropriate room in the house. It should not be, okay? The key word is preservation. I want this thing pristine, okay? Keep this thing clean. And that's how I used to treat all my books, by the way. Just, mm, okay, that's a treasure. But there's another way. That's the way I use my books now. Uh, what I realized is that books are a tool. They serve a greater end, which is for me to learn stuff, for us to learn stuff. And, and so whatever I need to do to get the most out of that book, whether it's underlining it or highlighting it or ripping a page out or whatever it happens to be, that book exists for the purpose of me learning. So if I need to do what I need to do with that book, now I know none of you are gonna borrow me one of your books again, uh, but I hope you can see the point. There, it's, it's purpose-directed utility. The highest value of that book is not to be clean at the end of its life. It's to be useful. There are three ways to use your life. Of course, there's carelessness. Not many of us are prone to that. But if you want to have the eternal influence that Paul exerted in this world, you will be focused on spending your life, getting your jersey dirty by the end of the game. It means you played in focused, purpose-directed utility. Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, whether that's in the most microscopic way of each moment-by-moment moment of obedience or in the macroscopic losing your life as, as some do, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Christian influence is that practice done on a day-by-day -day consistent basis, losing our lives for the sake of those around us. There are things worth dying for. Would the people around you see that? Would they be able to say that? I see that in them. The painful, patient process of influencing others toward Christ. So they, you can say to them, without any hesitation, you yourselves know, you know how I've lived among you. Aren't you curious to know how that's happened? So if we're going to lead in the pattern of Jesus, we'll follow this example of Paul. We'll follow this example of Paul. So let's move on. Next we see in verses 28 through 31, God's charge to his leaders, the elders. Here it's called the overseers. That's referring to the same office. Um, verse 28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. Paul's charge to the elders in Ephesus really has one main point with a few subpoints. Pay careful attention. Be alert, verse 31. Pay careful attention. The fundamental charge for the elders, the overseers, is to provide careful, attentive leadership. Parkview, there are a lot of pastors preaching incredible sermons in different cities around the world, and you can tune in and listen to their sermons. I hope you do. They preach incredible sermons. You can listen to them online. 
There are a lot of great Christian books out there read by incredibly wise women, incredibly wise Christian men who can help you learn how to follow Jesus, things that I I wouldn't be able to write like they can. There are counselors and teachers and influencers and whoever all over the world uh, that you can get in touch with that will be happy to provide for you spiritual services. But only the elders of this church will stand before Jesus to give an answer for the way that they have led you spiritually. That's the only group. No one else has that responsibility, and therefore no one else should have that authority. Elders, actually, could you stand up for a moment? I prepared them for this. Okay. If you're here in your servant office as an elder currently, these men, Dave, Scott, Jamie, Mark, Mark is also an elder, and uh, Greg and Josh. These men are leading you. They are responsible for you. They want to know you. They want to be known by you. These men have committed themselves to give their time, to give their influence to you. And I know these men. These men are trustworthy. They're worthy of that. And humanly speaking, these are the men who have the final authority to lead this church. And what I want to say, and I hope you would say it with me, is thank you. Thank you. You guys can take a seat. Go ahead and take a seat. Now, if you want to know them better, I know each of them would be happy to speak with you. I've also been sort of working my way systematically through uh, the list of those elders and having little interviews with them that we're posting on our training podcast. Uh, So you see those kind of dripping through there. I hope you get subscribed and can listen and hear a little bit more about their life, how they came to faith, and and what what they've seen of this practice in their own lives and how meaningful it's been to hear their heart for leading you. Um, Now, I hope you notice at the same time that God gives these men this incredible duty of care, he also reminds them that they're really just stewards of something that doesn't belong to them. Uh, You see that? To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. To care for the church of Parkview? No, to care for the church of God. God, his church. Not our church, not these, not our church, which he obtained with his own blood. I remember when, when Katie and I were living out in Chicago lands when I was in seminary and all that stuff, um, we kind of had no money, but we ha- knew how to have fun. <laughs> and one of the things we would do is uh, we would go, there was this luxury mall had all these incredible stores. We couldn't afford basically anything in that whole place, uh, but we would go and just kind of have fun, just kind of pretending like we belonged. Um, and I remember uh, there was uh, a, a certain store called Tiffany's. Okay. Anyone heard of that store? Okay, most of the ladies are nodding. Okay, <laughs> let me tell you guys <laughs> something about that. Um, now, I remember going to the store, I think it was probably a Saturday morning, Friday morning, something. There weren't any customers in there. We were the only ones to go in there high security, okay, I could see, you know, people walk in, and they've, like, got their finger on the, like, lock the door immediately, you know, call in the police thing, and I was a little bit curious about that. I wasn't all that familiar with this store and how high-end it was, but I remember, you know, it's like, let's just go, it'll be fun, you know, okay, so, <laughs> so let's try something on, so it slid this ring, I took a look at it, Looked at his beautiful ring. Okay, just gorgeous. I didn't know anything about jewelry, but I knew this was a pretty cool thing. And I did that thing, you know, you do in any jewelry store, which is where you kind of look at the price, pretending you're not looking at the price tag, but you are. Okay. And after I looked at the price tag, I set it right back down, (laughs) slid it right across. That's interesting. 
because uh, it had five digits in the <laughs> before the decimal point. I think it started with a three. And you know what I said immediately? I said, uh, something that expensive, I don't even want to touch, you know, because who knows what could happen? <laughs> um, who knows what could happen? The point is, the care with which you handle an object is proportional to its value. Christ has purchased his church with his own blood. There is no higher price tag in the universe than what sits in this room. That's, that's the seriousness that God calls his leaders to in handling. It's a fearful thing. Now, what does that leadership entail? Verse 29, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. We see the primary role of leaders in the church is to ensure that people are being formed by the authentic, historical, biblical Christianity. Uh, and that means protecting the community from its many counterfeits that are offered in both religious and irreligious forms. And, and do you notice what Paul's method of countering that threat is? It's not necessarily to sort of constantly be a negative Nancy saying all the things that are wrong around us, but rather he says, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years <clears throat> I did not cease night or day <clears throat> to admonish everyone with tears. The antidote to false teaching and counterfeit gospels is faithful, persistent instruction in what we do believe. And there we have it again, tears. Uh, because people don't care what you know unless they know that you care. Uh, now, as we read these things, we must remember, too, that there's a reason that these commands had to be given. Uh, and this is true throughout the Bible. The Bible doesn't command us to do things that come naturally for us. Uh, it doesn't command us to do the things that we will find easy uh, or normal. It commands us to do things that we will find difficult, that we will find unnatural, that we will find uh, irregular, <laughs> And so when we looked at Paul's first example in, in, the, verses, uh, in the first verses of this passage, at Paul's example, uh, we saw the immense personal burden of this, of this ministry, of this influence that he bore. He said, you yourselves know how it lived among you with humility and tears and trials. We need to hear that. Every leader, every person needs to hear that because our natural tendency is to do the, just the opposite. Our natural tendency is to keep people at a distance, to live with pride, and to do everything we can to avoid tears and to avoid trials, which usually means keeping people at a safe distance and their problems in their space. We saw Paul's example of how he regarded his own life, not as a treasure uh, to be preserved and sort of encased in protective sphere of glass or whatever, but as a tool uh, to be used and spent according to its designed purpose. I do not account my life as of any value or precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry I have from the Lord Jesus. We need to hear that, not because we're going to hear that and go, that's right, I'm doing it, but because it's so unnatural for us. Our default mode is to treat our lives like the most precious thing that we have uh, and to preserve it at all costs. Paul calls the elders to be careful and alert, and we listen to that and want to apply the same things to ourselves. Why? not because that's our normal way of living, but because we tend to be spiritually flippant and, and spiritually tend to be a bit asleep at the wheel. 
Now, here's what I'm driving at. This is a passage about leadership, and I said right from the top, not everyone here may have the formal leadership role that Paul was addressing in this passage, but everyone here has influence. Influence is inevitable. Influence is just leadership without a title. You have influence, and God is not asking us this morning to consider becoming leaders. Maybe some of you, maybe that's stringer, I don't know. Uh, but generally, each of us is leading. Each of us is influencing people. The question God wants to ask us then is, how's it going? What I want for each of us is to steward our slice of influence well. And for, I think for many of us, as I speak with you, what would happen is on Monday morning, I want you, maybe on Sunday morning, maybe right now, for God to exert a personal revolution in your life so you wake up on Monday morning to a world transformed. So that you would see when you get to your bus stop, when your kids roll out of bed at whatever hour they do, when you walk into work and you see those coworkers you see every day, that rather than seeing this world as a place where you get to basically inhabit and pursue your own personal goals with a little bit of Jesus on the side, that God has immense influence for you to walk into, to steward well, and he has designed you and given you everything you need for that to be a beautiful and joyful, though painful, endeavor. Can you see the influence you have to encourage each person to encounter through word or deed the glory and goodness of Jesus through your example, which earns a hearing through your words. Now, how do we actually do this? How can I actually do this? I hope you're asking that. How will I actually get the power? How will I actually have it in me to do what I, I hope you see this passage is clearly calling us to? It's not easy. Who wants to sign up for humility, tears, and trials? Who wants to sign up for the kind of responsibility we see here? Who is sufficient for these things? Simply put, we, we must finish the passage. <laughs> Verse 32 says this. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Simply put, in order to become a leader in the pattern of Jesus, you must first be led by Jesus. You must be willing to be led by him. And in every bit of the fulsomeness of that term, to be led, to let him be your leader, to submit to him, to let him take the reins of your life. To have Jesus as leader, it means many things. But do you notice what Paul says? I commend you to God and to the word, the word of his grace. Not one word, it's the message of his grace. That is the gospel. Paul is telling these leaders, if you're going to lead, what you will need most, what I commend you toward, what I, that means I place you in the hands of the gospel. What you will need is the gospel because the more you grow as a leader and hopefully the more you grow as someone who longs to obey Christ, the more you see that you haven't lived up to God's standards. Maybe even particularly in the way that it relates to helping others. Uh, you, the more you see the impossibly high standards that God has um, for his leaders and for his people. But I hope you see there that leaders in the church do their leading not by needing Jesus the least, but by realizing they need Jesus the most. That is how you become an, an arrestingly humble leader, 
a compellingly tearful leader by needing Jesus more. And so being led by Jesus means coming to him and confessing that instead of using our lives to influence those around us and stewarding whatever influence we have, even if it's just a tiny bit, we've tended to live our lives with self-indulgence and self-protection, often using our influence to serve ourselves rather than those around us, our time, our money, whatever it is, our attention. Do you know how precious attention is these days? Now, if you come to Jesus like that, ready to be led by him into his fresh forgiveness for all of us who have failed to wield our influence with godliness, do you know what you can expect from him? Jesus is the kind of leader who is not interested in stiff-arming sinners. Never has been, never will be. His arms could not be more open to you. And in addition to his unconditional forgiveness to all of us who have failed as leaders, he also offers his unlimited power. In the moment that you feel most afraid, most reluctant, most hesitant to take spiritual responsibility for those around you and bear your influence, whatever it might be, to help them, to encourage them, to listen to them, to be attentive to them, uh, to, to earn a hearing for the gospel, go to Jesus. Tell him. Tell him how afraid you are of that. Tell him how nervous you are. Tell him what a failure you feel like. Tell him what a fraud you feel like. <laughs> that's, that's, the only, that's the only safe place there is. Jesus knows what it is like to be humble when you would rather stand on your rights. Jesus knows what it's like to bear the burdens of others, particularly of those who don't care about you, who want to crucify you. Jesus knows what it's like to endure trials and sufferings that you don't deserve. And he knows exactly what you need in those moments. And Jesus has never held out on us. He never will. He will never delay. He will never hold back on giving you what you need in that moment. If you follow him in painful obedience, as surely as he went into death, the greatest pain of all, and was raised again to life, you can trust you can trust that if you follow him into the tiny death of being honest and encouraging with your coworkers or with your family members or with whoever, that even though it feels like death, he will bring you to the other side. How can you follow in Paul's example of fearlessness in the face of his fate, the way he lays his life on the line, using it as a resource to be used rather than a treasure to be preserved? Well, is anything less natural for us than to leave our lives exposed? And yet, where did Paul learn that from? From Jesus, from Jesus, who didn't just follow God's word at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life. Uh, if you come under his influence, he will teach you personally, patiently, profoundly, that what looks and sounds like loss to you right now is actually gain. Despite all appearances, if you follow Jesus into the death, the daily deaths that he calls you to, he will deliver you into life abundant. He says, it is more blessed to give than, the, than to receive. And when we come to him with fresh, forg for, fresh forgiveness in this way and power to obey, uh, Jesus will give you a new self. Did you know we can say without cringing, without 
without any reservation, there is a perfect leader within me. There is. And if, if you trust Christ, the Spirit is in you, you can say without reservation, there is a perfect leader in me. And the more that you come under the influence of Jesus, the more that you will bear eternal influence in this world and you will become the leader that God has made you to be. So why not today? Let's, let's do it together. Let's push all of our chips in with Jesus. He is trustworthy with our lives. He is trustworthy. We can submit to his leadership and become the leadership, the, the leaders that he has made us to be. He has laid it all on the line for us. And he regrets nothing. So let's lead in the pattern of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this beautiful picture of leadership in the pattern of Jesus. We rejoice in it. We aspire to it. We know we want that kind of leader in our lives. We know we, we need you to be that kind of leader to us. We want the human leaders around us to aspire to this. But Lord, at the same time, we, we recognize that we're not the people that you've called us to be. But we pray uh, that Christ would become more real to us. Your love would become an experienced lived reality. Your sacrifice as our leader would become a lived, experienced reality. Your death and resurrection would become a lived, experienced reality for us so that we have assurance at the deepest level. Lord, give us a heart to learn this that if we follow you in this way, you offer us not just fresh forgiveness, but power, that you won't abandon us in, in whatever that grave looks like, but you will raise us to eternal and new life uh, here and at the end of all time. So help us. We ask that you would give us this gift. Show us more of yourself and lead us to be like Jesus in this way. Amen.